hi, welcome to our latest podcast from St. Philip United Methodist Church. My name is Joel McMahon, and I'm the pastor of the church. And uh, before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have promised that we're two or more gathered together in your name, that you would be right in the midst of them. And so we know that you're with us right now, for we bow before you and we've gathered in Jesus' name. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak to our hearts as we open them before you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson is found in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 19th through the 25th verses. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as though you see the day drawing near. This passage ends with an exhortation for believers to gather together, encourage one another, emphasizing the increasing necessity of this as uh, the return of the Lord gets closer and closer. And let's face it, if you look around, you can see that it won't be long before the Lord returns. And in this message, I hope to just remind you that being in a body of believers for prayer and ministry and encouragement and edification is one of the best things you can do for your own soul and for the good of those around you and for the glory of Christ. Now, I know that I was preaching to the choir this morning, basically, whatever I preached, because those people that were gathered there are people who are faithful, and they just, they would not miss church. But some of you, uh, you may be listening, and you don't know this joy that I'm talking about, that others, well, and there are others who have been away from church for a while who have maybe forgotten the joy that comes from being a part of a body of believers. And some of you may need a little encouragement in one of the aspects of what I want to cover today. First of all, note that this passage begins with therefore. What follows is the conclusion that we're to draw from all that he's already said and he reviews the fact that we can come into the presence of God with confidence, and it's all because of Jesus and are putting our faith in him and what he has done for us. 
He has made a way for us when we could never make a way for ourselves. We enter into the presence of God with the blessed assurance that we have been washed of all filth on the outside with pure water and our hearts have been cleansed from all filth on the inside. He says we can draw near to God because we have confidence. And yes, if we have been blood-bought and uh, given ourselves to God and we know this, we can have confidence. But I know many people today who still recoil from God and don't want to be in his presence. Let me lay out quickly just three reasons why we may not have this confidence that Paul speaks of here. They are fear, unbelief, and unworthiness. First of all, people lack confidence because they fear God. Now, fearing God is not a bad thing. The Bible says it's the beginning of wisdom. Just as the old song says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved." There are many who haven't moved on in faith to have their fears relieved, and so they fear exposure of sin, and uh, they convince themselves that uh, uh, God is out to harm them rather to forgive them. They fear his anger and his wrath. And yes, as long as they cling to their sin and don't want to come to their maker and become the person that he created them to be and deep inside they're really longing to be, yes, there's a need for fear. But we can have confidence because we know through confession and repentance God will forgive, and through the blood of Jesus, God will save. Now, people also lack confidence because of unbelief. If you read chapter 3 of Hebrews, you'll see that unbelief prevented Israel from entering the promised land. And likewise, unbelief can prevent you from drawing near to God. In connection with this, I want to address one area of unbelief that many church members have embraced that it prevents them from drawing near to God. And it's the idea that God's commands have the effect of making us miserable. And this is a bad idea. It's a false idea to think that when God commands something, it's calculated to make us unhappy. Now, if we are uh, just, just just, immersed in sin, if we are clinging to sin, if we don't want to let go of it, then trying to do the things that God says is going to make us happy is going to seem like a terrible thing to do. But the thing is, just let me ask you this, just like Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? Some of you listening have been doing it your way for a long time and you're miserable and you're lonely and God has a better way. And this is what we're, why we're talking about this today. And so the thing is, there are way too many that think 
that uh, God's commandments are simply his way of showing who's in charge. Commandments equal authority, period. So doing them is sheer submission to authority, and that's that. Submission and approval or insubordination and disapproval. And that's the way way too many people think and feel about the commands of God. And I think it's important that I address this today. You see, God's commands are for our good. This is what the Bible says. God's commandments are for our good. Everything that he tells us to do is good for us. God doesn't need our service to improve his attitude or position or his ability or to uh, increase or benefit in any way. He doesn't need us. So he doesn't tell us to do things because he has needs, but because we have needs. And the thing is, there are so many people that are afraid to come to God because they're afraid that their needs will not be met. Well, let me tell you from experience, God has better ways of meeting your needs. Those needs that you have, he wants met, but he wants met in ways that are clean and good and healthy for you and uh, uh, will bring about goodness in your life instead of despair. Everything he tells us is for our good. Uh, here are a few examples of this. In Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, it says, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, now listen to this part, which I am commanding you today for your good. Now I'm sure some of you just heard your parents saying, as I said that, it's for your own good. Now, I just thought about this phrase yesterday, it's for your own good. It's just, for, it's just good for me? It's not good for anybody else? Well, you know that's not what the what the what your parents were talking about, and if you will admit it, the things that they told you were for your own good were, and the things that God has telling is telling us today, and what we're talking about, and His commands are for our own good, for our personal good. They're saying, and He is saying, this is what's best. And really, it is. There's a Latin term, sumum bonum, and it's been used in classic philosophy uh, to contemplate uh, the what's the ultimate or highest good in life. And people make their living digging into this in different ways, trying to find out what is the sumum bonum of uh, human humankind. What's the best for each one of us individually and uh, as a people? Well, you know what the, sum the sumum bonum is for you? 
God's will, God's commandments, keeping his commandments, they will bring the greatest good to your life. All the commandments of God are for our good. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what will make us deeply and permanently happy. We don't. We have to learn that from him. And I must say from experience that as we obey him and as we try to understand why he's saying do this and not that, we will discover for ourselves that his commands are for our good, for progressive goodness in our lives. When we first find the kingdom of God and we renounce all things for Christ, you know what it's like? Now, I talked about this last week. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. And then, notice this, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. He went and sold everything that he had to buy that field. Why? Because he knew that field had something in it that was worth more than he could ever have in life if he didn't buy that field. But he had to give up everything he had in order to get what he could have. Jesus also refers to uh, the kingdom of God and coming into it as a pearl of great price. It costs us everything and it's worth every penny because we get so much more. Renouncing the scrap metal of this world in order to have the gold and silver treasure of Christ is such an amazingly good trade-off that there is joy in doing it. When God commands us to serve him, what does he say? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. He doesn't want gloomy servants. His command is joy. What about giving? When he commands us to give, what does he say? Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, God doesn't want gloomy giving. His command is joy. What about suffering? When our paths lead through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And his presence sustains us, and his presence gives us hope, and we can have joy even in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus tells us in Matthew, uh, the fifth chapter, 11 through 12 verses, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The things that we give up, 
the things that we go through for him in obeying him and being true to him are worth it. Not just in the sweet by and by, but I must tell you in the here and now as well. God's plans for us are so overwhelmingly and everlastingly good that our temporary afflictions here shouldn't destroy our joy. Even in trouble, his command is joy, and we can be joyful even going through the tough times. You may ask, what about grief and loss? Well, First uh, Thessalonians says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Yes, there's grief in the life of a Christian, but not without hope, which is why Paul can use this amazing and wonderful phrase in 2 Corinthians 6.10, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. The joy of hope in the midst of misery streams from the future back into our hearts by faith and penetrates our sorrows so that we can say with Paul, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's God's will for us. His command is joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. In the end, when all our trials are over, what does the Bible say is coming? In Isaiah 35, 10, it says, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, all of this, this joy, is for those who have come to love God and have come to know his presence, which brings peace and joy even in the tough times in this life. So we face confidently what's ahead. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not a burden. So let's just kick all the props out from under that very bad idea that God's commandments are meant to make us gloomy or bored or sad. They're meant to do the opposite as he has said, they are for our good, for our best good, for our sumum bonum. Well, the third thing that causes people to lack confidence is their own unworthiness, their feeling unworthy. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. I addressed this last week. You were unworthy, basically, we discovered last week, as long as you refuse the invitation he's extended you. But he has extended an invitation to you 
because he loves you. You see, that passage that, I, that we looked at last week where the king throws a banquet, a wedding banquet, a wedding feast, and he, uh, he sends out invitations, and the people say, oh, I can't come. And then he goes and he, send, he sends his servants out to send invitations again, and they mistreat, and they even kill the servants that he has sent. And it's only then that he sends out uh, his army and he wipes out those who were murdering his servants. And then, and he destroys the city that they were in. And then he tells his servants, those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore and uh, go into the highways and the byways and bring everyone that you can. And the servants went out and it says, and they brought the bad and the good and the banquet hall was filled. So now tell me this, what's the difference as far as the worthiness? These that are here now, these that have been labeled as good and bad, they are considered worthy. While those that uh, refuse the invitation are unworthy. And the thing is, the call went out to those who refused, and it went out to those who received. Everyone is worthy to receive the invitation, but it's the, the important thing is that you receive it. Because, let me just tell you, brothers and sisters, until you receive what God has offered, you're going to continue to feel unworthy. But he can take all that away. And he wants to because he thinks you're one of the neatest people in the whole world. He loves you. He has good in store for you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you have done in the past, he sees through all the muck and he sees the real you. And it's that real you deep down inside that's still there that he loves. And I'm so glad because that was me at one point. I was a miserable human being and he reached down into the book of my life and he helped me to discover that I could be the real me. I didn't have to pretend to be somebody else. And he's trying to tell you today, you can be the real you for him. In fact, that's all he wants you to do is for you to be the best you for him that you can be. The best real you. Not living behind lies, not wearing masks, not pretending to be somebody that you're not. The real you. That's the you that he wants to bring into his kingdom. And so there's no need for you to feel unworthy if you'll just accept the invitation and because that's accepting his love and accepting his acceptance. You are acceptable in the beloved. So don't let that keep you from him and don't let it keep you from going to and being together with others in worship. 
Now, if there are people in worship that don't want to be around you, then you've gone to the wrong place. You need to find a church where you're, where you're welcome. Uh, and I think that it's a wonderful thing that I can say that our church is one of those churches where you will be welcome. No matter what your past, no matter what your color, no matter uh, where you've been or what you've done, you will be welcome in our church and the word of God will be proclaimed and you will be edified. I, I'm sorry I'm bragging about my little congregation, but they are just such wonderful people. But let's go on now. Uh, the people lack confidence because of their unworthiness. Let me uh, just, just, just go on and say this message is a message for those who have had their fears relieved, it's a, a message for those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and are at peace with God. It's a message for believers who have been saved by grace through faith. It's a message for those who love God and are walking in his goodness. And it is to those that he says, let us draw near. But those of you who have been living in fear, who have been uh, 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 afraid uh, because of a lack of trust in God, and those of you who have been just feeling unworthy, his invitation to you is also draw near, draw near to him. Receive all the things that he has to offer, and you will have that confidence that we're talking about here. Now, in the Old Testament, the people couldn't draw near. They would come together to worship, but they couldn't draw near. They had to stay outside, separated from God by a building and by a curtain. But now the curtain is gone. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins and uh, uh, purchased our salvation, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the outside world was ripped asunder. And now we can enter by grace through faith. The curtain is gone. And when we come together for worship, we draw near. When we enter into the house of God, we draw near to the Holy of Holies. And we can boldly worship and pray right before the throne of grace because of not of what we have done, but because of what he has done for us. When we come together, the passage says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, four things I want us to lift out here. First, God calls us to encourage one another. God's plan for our good is that uh, much of our encouragement come from other Christians speaking the words of God and the word of God into our lives, praying with us, laughing with us, weeping with us, being there for us. Another thing, we stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, God's purpose is that this mutual encouragement 
functions to stir us up to love and good works. Now then, uh, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, the aim of the mutual encouragement is not just for the good of the members of the group, but for the world. And it's good for us too, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. It's just like the widow's jar of flour and jug of oil in the story of Elijah. The more she gave, the more God gave. They never ran out. So we encourage each other and we stir each other up to love each other and those around us and those beyond us. Now then, notice how verse 25 continues into a third thing here. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So we gather. God is telling us that it is good for us to gather so that we can minister to each other. And this is his way of caring for us. It happens in my church nearly every week. And I hope it's that way in the church that you attend. As you each share with one another, as, uh, as, as you catch up on things, as you laugh together, as you cry together, as you pray together, as you make arrangements uh, uh, to help each other, to help others, it's only in a a church environment, a body of believers coming together that we can edify one another in that way. It can be a small group type church or it can be a small group within a church, but we need to come together. We need to gather, not just come and sit in a pl certain place in a church building. Most of what church is all about happens before and after church, let's face it or in small groups that are a part of that church. But worship is important as well, but there's so much more to it than that. Notice the fourth thing that I want to bring up here. Notice that he says, as the end approaches, he says, as the day is drawing near. Uh, the Bible says in the last days, it will come times of difficulty, times of stress and tremendous pressure and hardship and darkness and evil. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian and God is telling us what we will need to do to hold fast to our confession of hope. He says, get together to encourage one another and to stir each other up to love. I tell you, Lone Ranger Christians are going to be dropping like flies in those days. The enemy, Satan, is working hard right now to keep us away from church, isn't he? Through shootings and lockdowns here and in other places, bombings and persecutions and outright executions, I read of a, a massacre in uh, Africa last week. I think it was the Congo. I'm not sure. Um, I can't recall. But uh, in a village, of the, the, a church was meeting. There were about 30 people present. Two truckloads of gunmen, of rebels, pulled up, got out. And these were, well, anyway, there were two groups of rebels got out. 
and began firing, and they just gunned down the whole congregation. Eleven out of the thirty were killed, including the pastor and his wife. And so what did the survivors do? They got together. They appointed another layperson to be their pastor, and they determined they were going to start meeting at another time. They were not going to forsake the gathering of themselves together. The enemy knows that the longer we stay away, the weaker our faith will become and the harder it will be to get back in fellowship. We need each other. This reminds me of a story I read years, well, decades ago. There was an older man who had gotten crossways with a, uh, some of the members of his church and the pastor uh, stopped by to see him one evening and uh, to see if he could encourage him to come back to church. It was a cold wintry day and the pastor knocked on the door, the door opened and all the old man said was, oh it's you. And he motioned for him to come in and he motioned to a seat by the fire and then he just sat down and he stared at the fire. And the pastor just sat there with him and watched the fire with him. And then the pastor <clears throat> took some tongs and he reached into the fire and he took a large glowing ember and he pulled it out to one side of the fire, to the edge of the fireplace. Then he put the tongs down and they sat and they watched the fire and they watched the ember as it grew colder and colder and darker and darker and the life, the fire began to leave that ember. When it was almost out, the pastor took the tongs, took the ember and put it back in the fire and immediately it began to glow once more. The pastor sat there for a moment after putting the tongs down and then he got up to leave and without even looking up, still staring at the fire, the old man said, Pastor, I'll see you on Sunday. We need each other we need a fellowship of believers. You need to be a part of a fellowship of believers. There's going to be a coming a time when Lone Ranger Christians aren't going to be able to stand. You need to find a good church home right now. God's commands are always good for us. And the command that we not neglect the assembling of ourselves together is a very important one because we need each other and we need him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There may be some of you that as you listen to this, you realize you need to get back in church. I want to encourage you to do that. There may be some of you who you have uh, been hurt 
in a church before. I encourage you to find another church that won't hurt you. I encourage you to find a church where the Bible is preached and where uh, they have small groups. If the church isn't just a small group itself, to where you can fellowship with one another. I encourage you to do that because you need the body and the body needs you. There's some of you, you realize you've been in church, but you, through whatever reason, have never drawn near to God. You've never known his presence because you've never given your life to him. And if that's you, would you pray with me right now? Lord, I'm sorry that I have attended church. I have said I believe in you, but I haven't come to you. I've been afraid to really draw near to you. I've been afraid, and yet now I know that you love me. You love me and you want good for me. Thank you for making that clear today. And thank you, O oh God, for making a way for me to be forgiven of my sin that I, and, and, and for me to have fellowship with you and with other believers. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died on the cross so that I could draw near to you. And I, I confess and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me pure. And I receive that you have done this for me through the cross of Jesus. That I can't do it myself. But I accept that you died for me so that I could live for you. And so here I am, Lord. I give myself to you in this moment. Come into my heart. Live in me and help me to live in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, for those who prayed that prayer, I pray that you will keep your promise and that you and, uh, uh, and, and, and the, your Father and the Holy Spirit will come and make your home in this person that's just invited you in and that you will uh, love them and, uh, and that you will just fill their hearts with your love. Pour your Spirit upon them and let them know your reality and your peace and your joy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, it's been good being with you, and we'll see you again next week.